Welcome to the Eat Scripture Podcast. This is Eric Robinson and Gina Robinson. We've been out for a few days now because of COVID really kind of hit our household hard and it would have been a really ugly thing to try and edit with all the coughing that would have been going on during our recording. And we were having a hard time putting two thoughts together, but we're feeling better now. God has really given us, helped us turn a corner anyway. So we're at least we feel like headed in the right direction. And we are going to get back into Zechariah where our hearts and have just sure been calling us back. we sure didn't want to leave you hanging here. No, definitely. Zechariah. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely all the beauty that we're seeing in Zechariah. And now we're in just finished chapter 9. We're going to head into chapter 10. And we're going to continue to talk about what it means for this people now that they've been brought back to Judah and God is working through them and restoring them and how that should look and how they are going to very much be a picture as Israel so often was of what God is going to do eventually through his people everywhere as he draws people to himself through Jesus. And we're going to hear a little bit of that today, too, as we continue through chapter 10. So let's start reading in verse 1, chapter 10, verse 1. Last time I know we went through 10, 1, and it's very much kind of a transitional verse for us because it also moves us into verse 2. So we'll start at 2, 1, and we'll go through the, or 10, 1, and we'll go through the end of the chapter. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain from the Lord who makes the storm clouds and he will give them showers of rain to everyone the vegetation in the field for the household gods utter nonsense and the diviners see lies they tell false dreams and give empty consolation therefore the people wander like sheep they are afflicted for lack of a shepherd my anger is hot against the shepherds and I will punish the leaders for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock the house of Judah and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and they shall put to shame the riders on horses. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them, and they shall be as though I have not rejected them, for I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle from them, for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before. Though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me, and with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. He shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea, and all of the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria is, uh, shall be laid low, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. 
Excellent. Okay. <clears throat> that is our reading from Zechariah 10. So we're continuing with this idea of how much the Lord wants to save his people, wants to be glorious to his people. They are definitely experiencing some trouble with some bad leaders. And that is a bit of a question as we're going through this section of the text as to who these leaders really are. Are they mainly, are we really talking about Gentile bad leaders, such as the kings of these nations, kingdoms that have taken over the world, Assyrian bad leaders, um, uh, you know, yeah. you could say Egyptian bad leaders too, and uh, but certainly Persian and Greek and, you know, um, these are all, are these the bad kind of leaders that we're talking about or are there also bad Israelite leaders, leaders among God's people that shouldn't be in leadership positions. Is that what we're talking about? And that could be that, I mean, they've come back to the land and are trying to rebuild and it's taking them longer than it should. Yes. It seems like, so I wonder if maybe there, he's trying to tell them there's some bad leadership there. Maybe. Yeah. (coughs) Yeah. Maybe that is what's going on. And so as we're reading this, I think just keeping those things in mind can help us. Really, I do think it's kind of a both-and situation. Anyone who's leading God's people astray, God is going to have issues with, whether they're doing it from within God's people, which certainly is horrible, uh, or coming from without and just imposing an evil rule on God's people. Uh, God is not going to put up with that forever either. So I I think it's okay to see both of those incorporated into this idea. So in this first verse, he's saying, I'm the one who's going to bring rain. Yep. All these other leaders or idols or whatever you're depending on can't do it. Right. the one. Right. As you get into verse two, yep. He's the one who's going to bring the rain. The Lord who makes the storm clouds, he gives showers of rain, verse 10. For the household gods, in verse 2, utter nonsense and diviner seed lies. If people are depending on those little gods in their house that they're praying to, to bring them rain, they need to give up on that. That is not going to work. Anybody who tells you they know when the rain's going to come, the diviners, the ones you might go to, hey, when are we going to get our next rain? Hey, I'll give you a little, you know, if you, a little bit of money if you can tell me when I need to you know, plant my crops or when I need to, you know, when would be the best time to do this or that agriculturally, uh, then you're putting your eggs in the wrong basket. And so that's what, that's what the contrast is that's going on here, but they're never going to speak rightly to you. They're just going to speak falsely to you. Uh, and so you'll have to give up on them. And so it sounds like the leaders are, are doing this as well and maybe encouraging it. Yeah, because it says, yeah. therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. And there it is. Yeah. They don't have leadership, so they're on their own. You're right. I think you're exactly right. I think the leaders are have, have built a culture that this is the pervasive thought. <laughs> this is how we do things. This is what we depend on. And so, yeah, they are bad leaders, bad shepherds, uh, and they're going to have to be removed. And we've seen this, you know, here we are with the shepherd and the sheep imagery again. You know, this came up in chapter 9, verse 16. And we're going to continue now to watch this build here and then build as we get into chapter 11. It's going to be very, very strong uh, there. 
It's a big and, theme in the Bible, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. also it's important for us to understand that um, the word shepherd and that imagery is very, was used as a symbol of leadership and rulers in even uh, certainly even as far back as even yeah literature Hammurabi you said even referred Hammurabi, to himself yeah. as a shepherd as a shepherd so but you can kind of understand because that was their culture mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, they could see themselves as these leaders of big groups of people who were like sheep yes following them so it yeah. makes sense makes great that. sense and the Bible just builds on that imagery and makes such beautiful uh, points with that. Oh yeah, and people would be very, you're right, <laughs> respond to that kind of imagery. It's just so common that it would be easy. We don't see that see as it. much in our everyday life, so sometimes that's weird, but if you yeah. think about it, it's it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and so here they are being referred to that way again. The end of verse 2, uh, wandering around like people who need a shepherd. Well, that of course You can hardly even read the end of verse 2 if you ask me. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. That takes you straight to Mark chapter 6, verse 34, where Jesus looks at the people and sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, that that just sounds almost identical to that. So the people are in this same state there that we're talking about here. Also references that in Numbers 27, 17 in Ezekiel 34, 6 through 8, mm-hmm. talking about people without a shepherd. If mm-hmm. you think about a flock of sheep without a shepherd, yes, they're lost, they're in danger, they're vulnerable. Yes. Um, they, uh, sheep need shepherds. Yeah. <laughs> they need leadership. They truly don't know what to do right. without shepherds around. Sheep are not smart animals, frankly. Uh, and so that's that's definitely a picture part of the picture that's being painted absolutely ezekiel 34 is really harsh against bad shepherds mm-hmm. and verse 3 really takes my mind there the anger my anger is hot against the shepherds and i will punish the leaders which is frankly in the hebrew says he goats or male goats uh, right there so both the shepherds the male goats they're going to get punished for the lord of hosts cares for his flock the house of Judah and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. So we've just gone from a flock of sheep to war horses. Um, and so that the, all our metaphors are getting mixed a little bit, but I think it's still, you know, it's not hard to follow what he's saying here. He's going to punish the bad leadership that Israel has. And then he's going to take those who are his people and whose hearts are truly on him and turn them into a great force that works for his uh, proper ends. So all of that is being carried through in verse three. God is angry though at the shepherds, no question about it. And he's not going to let that bad leadership continue. Well, and the Lord of hosts is the one who's equipped with all the power Mm -hmm. to strengthen the people. And he is going to come and visit his flock and Mm -hmm. um, yeah, take care of them no question and I, right i think that's a beautiful picture he, they have no shepherd he's angry with the ones who were supposed to be shepherding them yes. so he is going to come and do that himself yes right absolutely right so from him god verse four shall come the cornerstone from him the tent peg from him the battle bow 
from him every ruler, all of them together. Is that him, God, that's bringing these? Or is the him a uh, personification of Israel itself from from him? Is that uh, the one who God is going to rescue? I think the him we should probably just refer to as the Lord of hosts, which we had in verse 3. I'm just saying that, you know, it's not impossible for it to be saying out of Israel will arise uh, one who will be a cornerstone or a tent peg. But I think without question, though, that cornerstone, that tent peg ultimately points to Jesus, just like we Mm -hmm. should think of when we think of a cornerstone like uh, Psalm 118. Um, that Jesus clearly links himself to the cornerstone in Psalm 118. Uh, and here, of course, is just, I think, another connected piece of that metaphor that we can see. This is what's eventually going to happen. His, his people who are a flock and who will also become his steed, uh, that will happen through when God brings the cornerstone, the peg, uh, and again, that's a peg that could also be tied to the language of Isaiah chapter 22 when we're talking about one who will come there and how uh, everything, you know, everything can be hung on this peg. Um, it can right. hold all the weight of everything. Right. So that's, that. yeah, beautiful. So, and, and the battle bow and every ruler, all of them together will come from him. That's that's interesting imagery alone right there. Um, no no ruler who is a ruler uh, will be able to come from anywhere else if it's true rulership under God. It'll only come through Him. Right. So they shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets, and they shall fight because the Lord is with them, and they shall put to shame the riders on horses. So, wow, he's really going to have a people who are able to fight in battle, strong, unable to be defeated. They are all... They're mighty men. Pushing it's forward. repeated yep. um, later, I believe, somewhere. Okay. Um, I don't have that. Oh, down in verse 7, mm, mighty mm-hmm. warrior. Mighty warriors. Um, mm-hmm. But I read something that kind of gave me a good picture of this because... Uh, she was, I think it was in Joyce Baldwin's book, but she was saying about this being, this picture of them being an infantry, not necessarily on horses. Oh, uh, yeah. But okay. they're fighting in the, in the trenches and right. they're going forward even in all the muck and everything oh, yes. and okay. that their strength is in perseverance mm. and that okay. they, um, know the Lord's with them because they can do that. Right. And the picture of these people as warriors, the picture of God's people as warriors is something that's carried on, not just throughout the, I mean, certainly throughout the Bible, it is. And even when we get to places like Ephesians chapter six, where Paul describes us as spiritual warriors, which we are very much now. And he expected no one to go out with a sword and start killing people or to go out on some war horse to establish Jesus's superiority. But yet he describes us all as wearing armor, as carrying a sword, as entering into battle. This is a spiritual battle. Yeah, very much so. And uh, and that's where 
I think we need to see this imagery as we ultimately push forward into meaning found in Jesus. I think we need to see this imagery. I do think that's how the disciples, the apostles, would have read Zechariah now as they've been taught about Jesus. And so now they see a redeemed and restored people and they read these portions of being warriors for God as he has established his people to be not just a flock of sheep, which they are, but also uh, battle steeds, his battle steed. Mm-hmm. Out of that humility of being a sheep. Yeah. Also, come, will, yeah, then yeah, develops he will, into healing. He will that, enable them to be. Yeah. And so remember, we remember, just like we've said so many times, the apostles don't have a New Testament and they don't even understand that. I don't think that there's going to be one at that point. I think the apostles are just seeing Genesis through Malachi as their story of Jesus and everything that he's done and everything he's doing through them. So they read passages like this. Oh, he's the cornerstone. He's the tent peg. We are the ones who have been empowered well, through him to be God's warriors. Well, they can see that's never really taken place. Right. Absolutely. Yes. They're, yes. they're reading a passage so that never see. really, in any, in any physical sense, never came to fruition. And yet now they know that that they it has see so yes. much that has come to fruition in Jesus. Oh, it certainly has too. This has too. We just have to read it with the right eyes. Yeah, absolutely. So verse six and seven, uh, he's going to strengthen the house of Judah and save the house of Joseph. Now, Joseph was the father of Ephraim and Manasseh. And so Ephraim became a word that was used often for North Israel because Ephraim was the largest tribe in North Israel and the most powerful and significant tribe and the one in which Samaria, their capital, was located. And so so what we're hearing here is that God's going to bring both Southern Kingdom and Northern Kingdom together again, that they'll be saved again that he'll strengthen them both again. Bring them back because I have compassion on them and they shall be as though I had not rejected them for I am the Lord their God and I will answer them. And then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior and their heart shall be glad as with wine and their children shall see it and be glad and their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. I I think it all hinges on that. I will strengthen them. Yes. He's, He's, this is again... The sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. Saying, I'm going to do this. They can't do it. Yes. This and he desires. Impossible. Oh, yes, absolutely. <clears throat> and he desires to unify his people again. Yes. He desire. He wants that. He's going to do that again. This is something that could never happen on a physical level because Assyria was known for once it had conquered a people, completely scattering them so that yes. they could, and, and mixing them with other conquered peoples so that they could never reunify again. Uh, that would have been impossible. But God, of course, is talking about a much bigger thing. People who have been, his people who have been scattered everywhere, who are far away. Right. He's going to unify them again in a way that you could never imagine. Which brings us to verse eight, which I just love. I will whistle for them and gather them in yes. for I have redeemed them and they shall be known they shall be as many as they were before so yes he he knows where they all are he's the shepherd he has his specific whistle that yes. they will hear and understand yep and he he's the one who scattered them so he's the one who can bring them back yeah 
And I love that because I think um, it says so much to us today because the church is scattered. Oh, we yeah. are everywhere. Right. And um, he will. He Ultimately, knows how to bring us together. Yes, he'll keep us together. And sometimes it feels together. like that is a totally impossible task. <laughs> yes. And I think it is. In yeah, certainly in any kind of human. Yeah. But he knows. Yes. And, and he can do that. And the picture is so good and we don't get it like you're you're talking about this thing whistling for your sheep we don't get it very well over here like you've said already we're just not this is not our society we don't deal with sheep that much even uh, even though you and i live in texas and even here we don't yeah um we're just not around a lot of sheep farmers we see them once in a while out in the field but very occasionally but i just see them uh, i'm not interacting yeah and don't even know a thing about how they would be raised or treated um how you'd care for them but I, I have heard enough and read enough now to know that shepherds in Israel um, will actually let their flocks mingle together, eat together, wander around together. And then when they get ready to go, the, the, each shepherd has his very distinct whistle or call that he will make into the air. And the sheep that are his will make their way out of that mob of sheep and just follow him right along. They know that specific call that's their call that's all he has to do is call we have to, and, and we have to be in here to know his voice yes so we have to this is how we're going to know and um, yeah, absolutely i just i love that i think there's it's the wheat and the tears too it's yeah we we, we don't know who around us may be part of our flock mm-hmm. <laughs> always by just looking mm-hmm. but we will yes when he calls us, we'll know. Oh, yes. <coughs> so he's scattered. He has scattered them among, though I scattered them among the nations yet in far countries. They shall remember me and with their children, they shall live and return. So he's going to call them from all the places where they've been scattered, all the distant places where they may be. And then he brings up specifically those places. And, verse 10. And they're not going to just survive. They're going to live. It's a it's a beautiful picture of yes. not just survival, but life. But really flourishing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Verse 10, I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. And I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. Mm. So uh, Egypt and Assyria now, these were places that, you know, throughout mm. Israel's history were not easy to deal with. And either they were making alliances with them or they were just flat out being taken over by them. And here God is going to all these places where his people had been taken, had to either become refugees or just absolute captives. God is going to bring them all back together under him. And he'll bring them to the land of Gilead and Lebanon, which implies... Gilead and Lebanon imply the very outskirts. I mean, even kind of spilling over <coughs> into other areas outside of Israel's borders right. and filling those up too. There's not even any room left there. Right. It's so, it's the picture of it being just full to the brim and overflowing. That's right. But there's going to be so many. Yes, definitely. They won't even fit. So. Uh, And then God is going to, now he gives this beautiful imagery here in verse 11. He, not they, which some translations are going to read they because they 
would go along with a Septuagint, which would be a Greek Old Testament reading. But I do think we're better, probably better off here to stay with the strangeness of the Hebrew, which is he shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low. The scepter of Egypt shall depart. Um, Here we have this imagery of God, he, not just they, Israel, but God, he, He who will will pass pass through through the the sea of, could be affliction. uh Sea sea of affliction. affliction. And strike down the ways of the sea. So why does God have to pass through the sea of affliction is what some of the questions that are asked when you get to translating something like this. Why, why would he need to do that? Let's uh, go with a they, which sounds like an Israel that's going to pass through a sea of affliction, but then will come out okay on the other side. Or well, what if it's God Himself who decides? I think that when we try through. to change those, sometimes to make it make more sense, we miss the whole point. Yeah. And the point here is that. Jesus. Yes. Hidden in there. We'll in a pass very, through the sea of affliction for us. Right. Exactly. Hidden in there in that obscure way, like he is so many places in the Old Testament. And then when you read it with him in there, with Jesus in there, all of a sudden, you can't help but think, oh, well, that would make perfect sense if it was him. Even though this passage may may seem, why, why am I putting Jesus here? Why am I thinking about Jesus here? Well, I'm doing it because Jesus told me he was everywhere. I'm doing it because he's the one who told me to read all the all the scriptures with him in mind. And so as I do that here, I can't help but think, oh. That way it makes perfect sense. That does sound like what he did. He does go through the sea of afflictions on our behalf strikes down the waves of the sea which take our minds to jesus telling the waves to be yeah and to exactly egypt like you're saying that this is a new exodus that's uh happening for the people very much they have these pictures in their minds and then it takes our minds to jesus whenever he is telling the waves to be still and to be calm which of course is him proving his authority over the sea which takes us back to X. Oh, he's God. That's because yeah. that takes that should take us to our minds right there. Yep, exactly. And so he strikes down the waves of the sea, and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. And so, in that sense, Jesus is woven into this whole picture of Exodus, a new Exodus, and ultimate Exodus that takes place in Him alone uh, as He brings His people out of affliction and, and out that's of how, slavery. In verse twelve, how. He makes us strong in the Lord yes. and that we can walk in his name because yes. he's already walked. He walks through that for us. Mm-hmm. And so that we can be strong in him and right. walk in his name. It just is, it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, I think it does. I think it makes perfect sense. Really beautiful. <clears throat> so that's the way that runs. And I think that that is a legitimate way to look at this passage really just watch it as it is certainly talking about these people of God who've been brought out of captivity and are now reestablishing themselves as a nation but so much of it can be seen in who we are and who all people are as we are drawn out of our various nations where we've been held captive by 
yes. Satan ultimately. And we are drawn out of those and into the fullness of what it means to be God's right. people in his kingdom, united together, given strength by him, becoming warriors spiritually in him and establishing his helping to establish his kingdom for all time. Right. I think back to the the shepherds, the bad shepherds here at the beginning, being <coughs> afflicted for lack of a shepherd, mm-hmm. that we yeah, should always be making sure that our leaders and shepherds are pointing us to Jesus. Yes. And to uh, his power and sovereignty. Yes. And if it's pointing to something else, to some other way of doing things to our own power, mm. this might be a bad shepherd. Yeah. And we need to be alert for that. We're not very good at doing that as sheep, but um, I, I think this is all just pointing to the fact that we have constantly got to be looking toward him for yeah. everything. Yes. Well, beautiful picture and I think you're absolutely right it's all about looking back to him and everything pointing to him that's what we want to keep in mind and we will continue to do that as we go into chapter 11 I don't think there's any way we'll be able to get away from it in chapter 11 <laughs> uh, which Matthew quotes very very clearly um, and about Jesus so we will take a look at that next time that obscure and strange verse that gets used uh, but we will talk to y'all and we'll try to get back soon. to doing Oh, yes. Two of these a week. Which we will definitely we, do. Um, it's just... Get healthier. Yeah. COVID is no simple thing to no get joke. past, or at least not, <laughs> not in our house. So we are looking forward to talking to you more, and we'll be back on later this week. But y'all have a great few days, and I hope everybody's feeling good and staying healthy. Love you all. Bye-bye.